Section 13 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hawaii in May 2021. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7. By Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd section thirteen beginning and progress of the renaissance fourteenth to sixteenth centuries by john addington simons part two the great achievements of the renaissance were the discovery of the world and the discovery of man under these two formulas may be classified all the phenomena which properly belong to this period the discovery of the world divides itself into two branches the exploration of the globe and that systematic exploration of the universe which is in fact what we call science columbus made known america in fourteen ninety two the portuguese rounded the cape in fourteen ninety seven copernicus explained the solar system in fifteen o seven it is not necessary to add anything to this plain statement for in contact with facts of such momentous import to avoid what seems like commonplace reflection would be difficult yet it is only when we contrast the ten centuries which preceded these dates with the four centuries which have ensued that we can estimate the magnitude of that renaissance movement by means of which a new hemisphere has been added to civilization in like manner it is worth while to pause a moment and consider what is implied in the substitution of the copernican for the ptolemaic system the world regarded in old times as the centre of all things the apple of god's eye for the sake of which were created sun and moon and stars suddenly was found to be one of the many balls that roll round a giant sphere of light and heat which is itself but one among innumerable suns, attended each by a cortege of planets, and scattered, how we know not, through infinity. What has become of that brazen seat of the old gods, that paradise to which an ascending deity might be caught up through clouds, and hidden for a moment from the eyes of his disciples? The demonstration of the simplest truths of astronomy destroyed at a blow the legends that were most significant to the early christians by annihilating their symbolism well might the church persecute galileo for his proof of the world's mobility instinctively she perceived that in this one proposition was involved the principle of hostility to her most cherished conceptions to the very core of her mythology science was born and the warfare between scientific positivism and religious metaphysics was declared henceforth god could not be worshipped under the forms and idols of a sacerdotal fancy a new meaning had been given to the words god is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth the reason of man was at last able to study the scheme of the universe of which he is a part and to ascertain the actual laws by which it is governed three centuries and a half have elapsed since copernicus revolutionized astronomy 
it is only by reflecting on the mass of knowledge we have since acquired knowledge not only infinitely curious but also incalculably useful in its application to the arts of life and then considering how much ground of this kind was acquired in the ten centuries which preceded the renaissance that we are at all able to estimate the expansive force which was then generated science rescued from the hands of astrology geomancy alchemy began her real life with the renaissance since then as far as to the present moment she has never ceased to grow progressive and durable science may be called the first-born of the spirit of the modern world thus by the discovery of the world is meant on the one hand the appropriation by civilized humanity of all corners of the habitable world and on the other the conquest by science of all that we now know about the nature of the universe in the discovery of man again it is possible to trace a twofold process man in his temporal relations illustrated by pagan antiquity and man in his spiritual relations illustrated by biblical antiquity these are the two regions at first apparently distinct afterward found to be interpenetrative which the critical and inquisitive genius of the renaissance opened for investigation in the former of these regions we find two agencies at work art and scholarship during the middle ages the plastic arts like philosophy had degenerated into barren and meaningless scholasticism a frigid reproduction of lifeless forms copied technically and without inspiration from debased patterns pictures became symbolically connected with the religious feelings of the people formulas from which to deviate would be impious in the artist and confusing to the worshipper superstitious reverence bound the painter to copy the almond eyes and stiff joints of the saints whom he had adored from infancy and even had it been otherwise he lacked the skill to imitate the natural forms he saw around him but with the dawning of the renaissance a new spirit in the arts arose men began to conceive that the human body is noble in itself and worthy of patient study the object of the artist then became to unite devotional feeling and respect for the sacred legend with the utmost beauty and the utmost fidelity of delineation he studied from the nude he drew the body in every posture he composed drapery invented attitudes and adapted the action of his figures and the expression of his faces to the subject he had chosen in a word he humanized the altar-pieces and the cloister frescoes upon which he worked in this way the painters rose above the ancient symbols and brought heaven down to earth by drawing madonna and her son like living human beings by dramatizing the christian history they silently substituted the love of beauty and the interests of actual life for the principles of the church the saint or angel became an occasion for the display of physical perfection and to introduce un bel corpo ignudo into the composition was of more moment to them than to represent the macerations of the magdalen men thus learned to look beyond the relic and the host 
and to forget the dogma in the lovely forms which gave it expression finally when the classics came to aid this work of progress a new world of thought and fancy divinely charming wholly human was revealed to their astonished eyes thus art which had begun by humanizing the legends of the church diverted the attention of its students from the legend to the work of beauty and lastly severing itself from the religious tradition became the exponent of the majesty and splendor of the human body this final emancipation of art from ecclesiastical trammels culminated in the great age of italian painting gazing at michelangelo's prophets in the sistine chapel we are indeed in contact with ideas originally religious but the treatment of these ideas is purely broadly human on a level with that of the sculpture of phidias titian's virgin received into heaven soaring midway between the archangel who descends to crown her and the apostles who yearn to follow her is far less a madonna assunta than the apotheosis of humanity conceived as a radiant mother throughout the picture there is nothing ascetic nothing mystic nothing devotional nor did the art of the renaissance stop here it went further and plunged into paganism sculptors and painters combined with architects to cut the arts loose from their connection with the church by introducing a spirit and a sentiment alien to christianity through the instrumentality of art and of all the ideas which art introduced into daily life the renaissance wrought for the modern world a real resurrection of the body which since the destruction of the pagan civilization had lain swathed up in hair-sheets and cerements within the tomb of the medieval cloister it was scholarship which revealed to men the wealth of their own minds the dignity of human thought the value of human speculation the importance of human life regarded as a thing apart from religious rules and dogmas during the middle ages a few students had possessed the poems of virgil and the prose of boethius and virgil at mantua boethius at pavia had actually been honored as saints together with fragments of lucan ovid statius cicero and horace the renaissance opened to the whole reading public the treasure-houses of greek and latin literature at the same time the bible in its original tongues was rediscovered minds of oriental learning were laid bare for the students of the jewish and arabic traditions what we may call the aryan and the semitic revelations were for the first time subjected to something like a critical comparison with unerring instinct the men of the renaissance named the voluminous subject matter of scholarship literae humaniores the more human literature the literature that humanizes there are three stages in the history of scholarship during the renaissance the first is the age of passionate desire petrarch poring over a homer he could not understand and boccaccio in his maturity learning greek in order that he might drink from the wellhead of poetic inspiration are the heroes of this period they inspired the italians with a thirst for antique culture 
Next comes the age of acquisition and of libraries. Nicholas V, who founded the Vatican Library in 1453, Cosmo de' Medici, who began the Medician collection a little earlier, and Poggio Bracciolini, who ransacked all the cities and convents of Europe for manuscripts, together with the teachers of Greek, who in the first half of the 15th century escaped from Constantinople with precious freights of classic literature, are the heroes of this second period. It was an age of accumulation, of uncritical and indiscriminate enthusiasm. Manuscripts were worshipped by these men, just as the relics of the Holy Land had been adored by their great-grandfathers. The eagerness of the Crusades was revived in this quest of the Holy Grail of ancient knowledge. Waifs and strays of pagan authors were valued like precious gems, reveled in lycodoriferous and gorgeous flowers, consulted like oracles of God, gazed on like the eyes of a beloved mistress. The good, the bad, and the indifferent received an almost equal homage. Criticism had not yet begun. The world was bent on gathering up its treasures, frantically bewailing the lost books of Livy, the lost songs of Sappho, absorbing to intoxication the strong wine of multitudinous thoughts and passions that kept pouring from those long-buried amphorae of inspiration. What is most remarkable about this age of scholarship is the enthusiasm which pervaded all classes in Italy for antique culture. Popes and princes, captains of adventure and peasants, noble ladies and the leaders of the demimonde alike became scholars. There is a story told by Infesura which illustrates the temper of the times with singular felicity. On April 18, 1485, a report circulated in Rome that some Lombard workmen had discovered a Roman sarcophagus while digging on the Appian Way. It was a marble tomb engraved with the inscription, Julia, daughter of Claudius, and inside the coffer lay the body of a most beautiful girl of fifteen years, preserved by precious unguents from corruption and the injury of time. The bloom of youth was still upon her cheeks and lips, her eyes and mouth were half open, her long hair floated round her shoulders. She was instantly removed, so goes the legend, to the capital, and then began a procession of pilgrims from all the quarters of Rome to gaze upon this saint of the old pagan world. In the eyes of those enthusiastic worshippers, her beauty was beyond imagination or description. She was far fairer than any woman of the modern age could hope to be. At last Innocent VIII feared lest the orthodox faith should suffer by this new cult of a heathen corpse. Julia was buried secretly and at night by his direction, and naught remained in the capital but her empty marble coffin. The tale, as told by Infesura, is repeated in Matarazzo and in Nantiporto with slight variations. One says that the girl's hair was yellow, another that it was of the glossiest black. What foundation for the legend may really have existed need not here be questioned. Let us rather use the mythos as a parable of the ecstatic devotion 
which prompted the men of that age to discover a form of unimaginable beauty in the tomb of the classic world then came the third age of scholarship the age of the critics philologers and printers what had been collected by Poggio and Aurispa had now to be explained by Ficino, Poliziano, and Erasmus. They began their task by digesting and arranging the contents of the libraries. There were then no shortcuts of learning, no comprehensive lexicons, no dictionaries of antiquities, no carefully prepared thesauri of mythology and history each student had to hold in his brain the whole mass of classical erudition the text and the canon of homer plato aristotle and the tragedians had to be decided greek type had to be struck florence venice basel and paris groaned with printing presses the aldi the stephani and froben told by night and day employing scores of scholars men of supreme devotion and of mighty brain whose work it was to ascertain the right reading of sentences to accentuate to punctuate to commit to the press and to place beyond the reach of monkish hatred or of envious time that everlasting solace of humanity which exists in the classics all subsequent achievements in the field of scholarship sink into insignificance beside the labors of these men who needed genius enthusiasm and the sympathy of europe for the accomplishment of their titanic task virgil was printed in fourteen seventy homer in fourteen eighty eight aristotle in fourteen ninety eight plato in fifteen twelve they then became the inalienable heritage of mankind but what vigils what anxious expenditure of thought what agonies of doubt and expectations were endured by those heroes of humanizing scholarship whom we are apt to think of merely as pedants which of us now warms and thrills with emotion at hearing the name of aldus manutius or of henricus stephanus or of johannes froben yet this we surely ought to do for to them we owe in a great measure the freedom of our spirit our stores of intellectual enjoyment our command of the past our certainty of the future of human culture this third age in the history of the renaissance scholarship may be said to have reached its climate in erasmus for by this time italy had handed on the torch of learning to the northern nations the publication of his adagia in fifteen hundred marks the advent of a more critical and selective spirit which from that date onward has been gradually gaining strength in the modern mind criticism in the true sense of accurate testing and sifting is one of the points which distinguish the moderns from the ancients and criticism was developed by the process of assimilation comparison and appropriation which was necessary in the growth of scholarship the ultimate effect of this recovery of classic culture was once and for all to liberate the intellect the modern world was brought into close contact with the free virility of the ancient world and emancipated from the thraldom of improved traditions the force to judge and the desire to create were generated 
the immediate result in the sixteenth century was an abrupt secession of the learned not merely from monasticism but also from the true spirit of christianity the minds of the italians assimilated paganism in their hatred of medieval ignorance in their loathing of cowled and cloistered fools they flew to an extreme and affected the manner of an irrevocable past this extravagance led of necessity to a reaction in the north of puritanism in the south to what has been termed the counter-reformation effected under spanish influences in the latin church but christianity that most precious possession of the modern world was never seriously imperiled by the classical enthusiasm of the renaissance nor on the other hand was the progressive emancipation of reason materially retarded by the reaction it produced the transition at this point to the third branch in the discovery of man the revelation to the consciousness of its own spiritual freedom is natural not only did scholarship restore the classics and encourage literary criticism it also restored the text of the bible and encouraged theological criticism in the wake of theological freedom followed a free philosophy no longer subject to the dogmas of the church to purge the christian faith from false conceptions to liberate the conscience from the tyranny of priests and to interpret religion to the reason has been the work of the last centuries nor is this work as yet by any means accomplished on the one side descartes and bacon and spinoza and locke are sons of the renaissance champions of new-found philosophical freedom on the other side luther is a son of the renaissance the herald of new-found religious freedom the whole movement of the reformation is a phase in that accelerated action of the modern mind which at its commencement we call the renaissance it is a mistake to regard the reformation as an isolated phenomenon or as a mere effort to restore the church to purity the reformation exhibits in the region of religious thought and national politics what the renaissance displays in the sphere of culture art and science the recovered energy and freedom of humanity we are too apt to treat of history in parcels and to attempt to draw lessons from detached chapters in the biography of the human race to observe the connection between the several stages of a progressive movement of the human spirit and to recognize that the forces at work are still active is the true philosophy of history the reformation like the revival of science and of culture had its medieval anticipations and foreshadowings the heretics whom the church successfully combated in north italy in france and in bohemia were the precursors of luther the scholars prepared the way in the fifteenth century teachers of hebrew founders of hebrew type reuchlin in germany alexander in paris von hutten as a pamphleteer and erasmus as a humanist contribute each a definite momentum luther for his part incarnates the spirit of revolt against tyrannical authority urges the necessity of a return to the essential truth of christianity as distinguished from the idols of the church 
and asserts the right of the individual to judge interpret criticize and construct opinion for himself the veil which the church had interposed between humanity and god was broken down the freedom of the conscience was established the principles involved in what we call the reformation were momentous connected on the one side with scholarship and the study of texts it opened the path for modern biblical criticism connected on the other side with intolerance of mere authority it led to what has since been named rationalism the attempt to reconcile the religious tradition with the reason and to define the logical ideas that underlie the conceptions of the popular religious conscience again by promulgating the doctrine of personal freedom and by connecting itself with national politics the reformation was linked historically to the revolution it was the puritan church in england stimulated by the patriotism of the dutch protestants which established our constitutional liberty and introduced in america the general principle of the equality of men this high political abstraction latent in christianity evolved by criticism and promulgated as a gospel in the second half of the eighteenth century was externalized in the french revolution the work that yet remains to be accomplished for the modern world is the organization of society in harmony with democratic principles thus what the word renaissance really means is new birth to liberty the spirit of mankind recovering consciousness and the power of self-determination recognizing the beauty of the outer world and of the body through art liberating the reason in science and the conscience in religion restoring culture to the intelligence and establishing the principle of political freedom the church was the schoolmaster of the middle ages culture was the humanizing and refining influence of the renaissance the problem for the present and the future is how through education to render culture accessible to all to break down that barrier which in the middle ages was set between clerk and layman and which in the intermediate period has arisen between the intelligent and ignorant classes whether the utopia of a modern world in which all men shall enjoy the same social political and intellectual advantages be realized or not we cannot doubt that the whole movement of humanity from the renaissance onward has tended in this direction to destroy the distinctions mental and physical which nature raises between individuals and which constitute an actual hierarchy will always be impossible yet it may happen that in the future no civilized man will lack the opportunity of being physically and mentally the best that god has made him it remains to speak of the instruments and mechanical inventions which aided the emancipation of the spirit in the modern age discovered over and over again and offered at intervals to the human race at various times and on diverse soils no effective use was made of these material resources until the fifteenth century the compass discovered according to tradition by joya of naples in thirteen o two was employed by columbus for the voyage to america in fourteen ninety two the telescope known to the arabians in the middle ages 
and described by Roger Bacon in 1250, helped Copernicus to prove the revolution of the earth in 1530, and Galileo to substantiate his theory of the planetary system. Printing, after numerous useless revelations to the world of its resources, became an art in 1438, and paper, which had long been known to the Chinese, was first made of cotton in Europe about 1,000, and of rags in 1319. Gunpowder entered into use about 1320. As employed by the genius of the Renaissance, each one of these inventions became a lever by means of which to move the world. Gunpowder revolutionized the art of war. The feudal castle, the armor of the knight and his battle horse, the prowess of one man against a hundred, and the pride of aristocratic cavalry trampling upon ill-armed militia, were annihilated by the flashes of the cannon. Courage became more a moral than a physical quality. The victory was delivered to the brain of the general. Printing has established, as indestructible, all knowledge, and disseminated, as the common property of every one, all thought, while paper has made the work of printing cheap. Such reflections as these, however, are trite and must occur to every mind. It is far more to the purpose to repeat that not the inventions, but the intelligence that used them, the conscious calculating spirit of the modern world, should rivet our attention when we direct it to the phenomena of the Renaissance. In the work of the Renaissance all the great nations of Europe shared. But it must never be forgotten that, as a matter of history, the true Renaissance began in Italy. It was there that the essential qualities which distinguished the modern from the ancient and the medieval world were developed. Italy created that new spiritual atmosphere of culture and of intellectual freedom which has been the life-breath of the European races. As the Jews are called the chosen and peculiar people of divine revelation, so may the Italians be called the chosen and peculiar vessels of the prophecy of the Renaissance. In art, in scholarship, in science, in the mediation between antique culture and the modern intellect, they took the lead, handing to Germany and France and England the restored humanities complete. Spain and England have since done more for the exploration and colonization of the world. Germany achieved the labor of the Reformation almost single-handed. France has collected, centralized, and diffused intelligence with irresistible energy. But if we return to the first origins of the Renaissance, we find that, at a time when the rest of Europe was inert, Italy had already begun to organize the various elements of the modern spirit, and to set the fashion whereby the other great nations should learn and live. End of section 13